beautiful day. Thank you for the warmth that comes in the spring. Thank you for the new life that we see all around us. Trees begin to bud. Reminds us of the new life that you give in Christ. New beginning, new start, new covenant relationship. Thank you for reminding us of resurrection this time of the year. Thank you, Father, for the food that's in this place. Thank you for the abundance that these dear people will receive from your hand. And I ask that you'll continue to provide it for the glory of your name. And then I ask for help today. In Jesus' name, amen. I would like to draw your attention to a text that's found in the last book of the Bible, the book of the Revelation. And you know, it's called the book of the Revelation because of the promise that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be revealed from heaven as Lord of lords and King of kings, and he will return to this planet the same earth that he was on 2,000 years ago. We are in the year 2023. And what do we date it from? We date it from the time of Christ. I think sometimes days follow days and years follow years, and we're living in, uh, on this earth, existing on this earth, going through life with all of its challenges, and that's all we see. We just see our today. We just see... Uh, we, we can't relive yesterday or last month or last year. We can't even go back and redo our childhood, try to make things different and hope things would be different for it. We can't go back and do any of that. But we're trudging through this day and then the next day and the next day. And we fail to lift up our eyes to heaven and realize that there is something that's greater than we are There's something more glorious than this globe on which we live. You know, this is our time. This is our season. We are the humanity that populate this place now. But there were others before us. And should the Lord tarry, there'll be others after us. So we must discover the significance that God has. For all humanity, is this life everything? Is, just, is this just it? And then we close our eyes in death and that is it. Or is there something greater? Is there eternity? You know, we're living in time. Will there be life after this existence? You know, those are, those are questions that humanity faces. And yet, at the same time, I am so glad that as we face those questions, there is a book, there is a revelation uh, that cannot be explained apart from the intervention of a being that is far more powerful than we are, who has given us such a revelation. And he has a book that is tested through time, a book with a trusted message. And I want to read from it this afternoon. 
And I have put a number of the verses that I would like to read on the screen. And so may I read it for you. Here's John the Apostle writing, and he said, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Have your eyes ever shed tears? And death shall be no more. Has death robbed from you anyone? Death has taken from me a younger brother, an older brother. It's taken from me, my father and my mother, and of course, my grandparents and great-grandparents. Death has taken them away from me. And while I am living, should the Lord tarry, I might have to walk through the, the veil of death myself. But can you imagine when everything that death has brought will be no more? Neither shall there be any mourning, have you ever mourned? Have you ever mourned the loss not only of person, but have you ever mourned the loss of a pet? I mean, I love animal life. I mean, it even bothered me when I had a fish in one of my aquariums not survive. I know what mourning is, and there are things to mourn for that are far greater than the loss of a fish. Don't miss my mess, what I'm trying to say here. But there'll be no more mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. Have you ever suffered mental anxiety and anguish? Have you ever had emotional pain? Have you ever had physical pain? We understand that for we have all been tested by pain. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. He also said, Write this down. Now look at this last phrase. For these words are trustworthy and true. This text about a city that is called the New Jerusalem is surrounded by the expression, these things are trustworthy and true. And while my eyes have never seen heaven... And my eyes have never seen this city that is described in this final book of the Bible. I believe that it's there. I believe that the words about it are trustworthy. Number one, they're true, and I can trust that this is true. You say, Bill, I can't say that. I can't see it. Well, neither can I. But I believe God. I believe Him. I am a believer. I, I believe that what He has communicated can be trusted, that it's truth. 
And so my hope is firmly fixed on what God has promised. What a city. But there are two verses that follow the ones that are on the overhead. Two verses in the text. And I want to read what they say. But for the cowardly. And unbelieving. Do you believe God? Do you believe that what He has communicated to us is trustworthy? Think about the power of God. Think about the heavens. Think about the earth. Think about the 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 majesty of all of that. And the creativity and the order of life on this planet. Think about your own life. Think about your own body. The tent that you're living in. Just think about the miracle of it all. And the power that it took to do all of this and more. And then you'll begin to understand that this being has the power and the authority to tell us things that are true. To reveal things to us that we can believe. If he can do all of that, don't you think he can communicate to us? And we can trust him? I mean, the the Bible itself is a miracle in how it came together under the moving power of the Spirit of God. And any of you that have studied it seriously will see it with your own eyes. It is a powerful book, and it's trustworthy and true. The Bible is an anchor for me. I am holding on to it. I am trusting it. Why? Because I believe God. A work took place in my life 50 years ago. 50 years ago. It wasn't that I was smarter than anybody else. It was a work of the Spirit of God where the Spirit of God brought life to me, brought spiritual life to me, and opened up my eyes to see that God can be believed and I could trust Him about what he said about how I, Bill Jones, a sinner disobedient to him, could have a restored relationship so that I could come to know who God is. Do you know who God is? Are you getting to know him more intimately in your life? Are you marveling in his character and his glory? Do you have that new covenant relationship that promises that you'll know who the Lord is. Yes, he's knowable and he's trustable. You can believe him. But the cowardly and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters. Now, you might have gotten all the way through that list and not a single one of those words touched you. But how about the next one? And all, I mean, that means all, liars. Whoa. 
caught us all. Caught us all. And all liars, now listen, have their part in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and spoke with me saying, come here, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. How can it be that all liars will have their part in the lake that burns with fire and yet... The text will speak of one who's said to be the bride of the Lamb. Who is the bride of the Lamb? Who is the Lamb? Who is the Lamb? He is none other than the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. He is the one that John the Baptist cried out and said, Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. He is the sacrificial lamb that was pictured in all the animal sacrifices in the Old Testament. He is the sin offering. He is the trespass offering. He is the peace offering, and he is more. He is the lamb. But there are those who are said to be the bride of the lamb. Who could it possibly be when all of us are liars and our part is in the lake that burns with fire? Well, my friend, if you know the gospel of God, you know the answer to that. You know that in the kindness of our creator, in all of his glory and all of his power, he has made a way so that liars can be a part of the bride of the Lamb. And while their part is destined in a second death to the lake of fire, he has now rescued them and promises that he will bring them to this place called the New Jerusalem. I have all the confidence in this life, my friend, that if my life were to be terminated in 10 minutes, and this body that I dwell in will collapse And you will look and you will see that I am not there. I am confident that when I am absent from my body, I'm going to be present with the Lord. For that is the promise of this book. And I've buried loved ones. And I've buried friends. And those that have known the Lord Jesus and entered into a covenant relationship with him, becoming a part of his bride, They too, absent from their body, are present with the Lord. Can you imagine how quickly that must be? I mean, it takes me a little bit of time to go from here to downtown Manhattan. How about if I were to transverse all the way to Florida? How if I were to go all the way over to London? How long would it take to get there? And yet the promise of God is that when I'm absent from my body and present with the Lord, far more powerful, moving, gathering by the Spirit of the living God to glory. Transversing through this earth's atmosphere, 
beyond our own solar system, heading toward the edge of space where space meets heaven, wherever that is. You know, we just put up the James Webb Telescope what a year ago, Christmas Day. They started sending images back to Earth last July. I, I, I'm fascinated by some of the things that I've seen on the, on their, on the James Webb Telescope uh, uh, site. Do you know that they, a million miles from the Earth this telescope is right now, tracking around the sun, seeing deeper into space than human eyes have ever seen before. Far deeper than the Hubble. And yet they have isolated what, what they call the furthest star from Earth that they can see. Now, it's not the furthest star from Earth. It is the furthest star that the James Webb Telescope can see. And they say that they estimate that it's 50 times the size of our sun. And they have gone in that telescope past couple of hundred galaxies that they've seen out there, and yet this distant star they've given a name. Do you know what its name is? It means in the English, the bright and morning star. Oh, when I read that, I said, isn't that amazing? The Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is the Lamb in the Word of God is called the bright and the morning star. But no, I would have to even go beyond Rundell, the bright and morning star, to make my entrance to the city four square. And what a city it is described in the text through those final chapters of the book of Revelation. It's a city, number one, it's four square. And then it gives us the dimensions of the city. And if we were to translate them in the miles, it would be 1,400 miles in one direction. And then 1,400 miles in the other direction. But then what's fascinating, it's said to be 1,400 miles high. Can you imagine that? Made of uh, gold that's translucent. What's the term? Or you see through something. Translucent. Thank you. Gold so pure, so clear that you can see through it. We, we, we grovel with our hands and our machinery to dig up gold in the dust of this place. And place such a value on it. But this city, four square, 1,400 miles with all this translucent gold. How valuable is that? A city surrounded by walls. And by the way, if you look at 1,400 miles, to give you an idea of the size of that. Imagine a city that begins on the East Coast and covers America clear to the Mississippi River. That's about 1,400 miles. It's a cube, a perfect cube. And to teach us about that, when you go back into the Old Testament Scriptures, when God redeemed the nation of Israel from Egypt in the second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus, and they're on their way to their inheritance, the land that is a picture of glory in heaven, a place where there was a physical city called Jerusalem. But on that journey, he says, I want you to know that I will dwell with you. I will be in your midst, and you'll be my people. And so he instructs them to do what? To build a temporary house, a tabernacle, 
A tabernacle is to be made after the model that Moses was shown on Mount Sinai. And when they build that temporary dwelling place of God that has two rooms, a front room and a back room, a front room called the holy place, a back room called the most holy place, where there was in there the throne of God, the ark of his covenant, the ark of his justice, the ark of his law, with the cherubim angels and the glory of God dwelling there in the midst of his people. Dwelling until the glory departed in the days of Ichabod. But do you know that the most holy place was also a cube? It was 15 feet by 15 feet by 15 feet. And that cube was a picture of the new Jerusalem, the dwelling place of God. Our Bible begins with God dwelling with humanity and then, then the sin of man that separated man from God. But the promise that God would solve that issue and bring reconciliation in the first book of our Bible, it begins with him dwelling with us. And then scattered through the pages of this book is that continual promise for humanity by the, by the setting up of that tabernacle tent, which later became a temple. But the promise of the last pages of the Bible is that our God will dwell with us again. Can you imagine dwelling in a structure where you see the face of God and his name is written on your forehead? Can you imagine that? My friends, it will happen for some. It will happen for those who are the bride of the Lamb, those who are the people of God. What a city it is. Surrounded by a wall. A wall on every side, and on each side, three gates. Three on the north side, three on the south side, three on the west side, three on the east side. Do you know that that is how the camp of Israel was pitched around the dwelling place of God? Three gates, and each one of those gates, can you imagine this, made of a single pearl. How many of you ladies love pearls? My wife has some. Don't tell her they're imitation, okay? No, she has some real pearls too. Have you ever taken a pearl and sliced it right down the middle and seen the incredible patterns and beautiful colors on the inside of a pearl? So imagine this wall made of jasper, and jasper itself is full of all kinds of different colors. And in, in, the, in the wall, these 12 gates made of a single pearl. Those are pretty good-sized pearls. And the foundation of the wall has 12 names written on it. And the gates in the wall have 12 names written on it. And the gates have written on them the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. And so one gate will have the name Reuben on it. And another gate will have the name Asher on it. And another gate, Naphtali. And another gate, Gad. And you can go on and on and on. And you'll see the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, what is God communicating in that? My friend, there have been a people of God, those who are the bride of the Lamb, pre-Christ. 
in the Old Testament period before he ever came from the time that God made Adam until he sent the second Adam, Christ. In that period of time, there have been people like Noah who have believed God and trusted him and believed that the one he promised to send would redeem them. For he gave Adam that promise. And we saw that he renewed it in Noah's day, and he renewed it in Abraham's day, and he renewed it in Moses' day, and he renewed it in David's day, and all of those covenants as he promised to send the one who would be the bridegroom of the Lamb and enter into a new covenant relationship with his people that would guarantee that they would dwell with God forever, that they would know the Lord, that they would have the power of God's Spirit in their life, and that their sins and their iniquities will be remembered no more. So how do liars get into glory? How do liars get into that place that is surrounded by a wall with 12 gates and the names of the 12 uh, uh, tribes of Israel and a foundation that have the name of the 12 apostles of Christ? How do they get in? Oh, my friends, they get in by entering into a new covenant relationship that forgives all of their sin. That's what the book says. I'm just telling you what the book says. I've only lived for 64 years. I don't know all things. Matter of fact, I know very little. So I must trust information and revelation outside of my own thinking I must trust a book that can give me that information so that I too may enter that new Jerusalem city. And so I go through the open gate. Standing next to those gates, the text says, are 12 angels. You ever heard about going to the pearly gates? You ever hear that expression? You ever seen pictures of angels escorting people to the pearly gates? Well, it comes right out of these texts. A place, a place called heaven, the dwelling place of God, the new Jerusalem, and so I enter. But there is one room, there is one room in that incredible city. That will call all of us. And it is the throne room of God. Where God sits on a great white throne, to use the language of the book of Revelation. A great, great white throne, a judgment. For it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. What a throne room it is. But will you look at it with me from the text? Will you not see that there is one seated on the throne? The one who is said to be holy the one who is said to be righteous, the one whose very character can have nothing to deal with liars, and yet one who is also gracious and merciful and kind and long-suffering and forgiving. Just a little bit about who he is. For he has made a way that sinful people can enter his throne room and never face his judgment. For they have come to him the way that he has prescribed. 
They have come to him in the person of a representative. They have come to him in the person of a savior. And you enter that throne room and you see the one seated on the throne, but before the throne you'll see the lamb and you'll see the spirit of God. The lamb, the lamb is there. Who is this lamb? He is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. That's what the book says. He is the lamb to which all of the animal sacrifices in the Old Testament, all of the lambs of Passover season, all of the lambs of the morning and the evening sacrifice, all of those lambs, he is a, the one to, that they all picture. And as those sacrifices are named in the Bible beyond the lambs, the bullocks, and the goats on Yom Kippur, and they are named, and some of them are said to be what? A sin offering. For the Lamb of God is the sin offering, the one who is offered up for sin. He is the trespass offering. Because of our trespass against the laws of God, he is the one that will take all of our trespasses upon himself. But my friend, he's also said to be the peace offering. Can you imagine being at peace with God? Can you imagine entering the house of God, the room of God, the throne of God, and standing there face to face with the God who made you and made heaven and earth and know that you're at peace with him? Know that you've been reconciled to him. Know that, the, that listen, I'm enjoying God in this life. Do you think I'm waiting to enjoy God after I breathe my last and enter New Jerusalem? Oh, no, you're, you're, for, you're, you're mistaken. There has been great joy that has come to my life and great peace in my life and great understanding in my life because I'm getting to know who the Lord is. My eternal life has begun now. I have believed on him and I have life eternal now. And I can't even begin to imagine what it's going to be like when I see his face. But I'm at peace. Because the Lamb is there and the Spirit of God is there. And around that white throne, there is a sea of glass. And then there is an emerald rainbow, according to the book. Why a rainbow? Well, think of this. When God destroyed the world with a flood, afterwards he sent a sign that he would never do it again. He made a promise that all of humanity would not be destroyed by a global flood. And he has kept that promise for thousands and thousands of years because he is a covenant-keeping God. And that rainbow that he put down here on earth to remind us of his faithfulness to his promises is around his throne like a green emerald. And he will remember his promises. He will keep his side of the covenant relationship. He will make those who have lied against one another and lied against him, he will reconcile, forgive, and make them a part of his people. But beyond that circle, the throne of God and the Lamb and the Spirit. The text says there are 24 elders, 24 thrones seated there in the throne room of God. Who these elders are, who can we really say? But it's amazing that there's 24. And in the Old Testament, there were 12 tribes. And in the New Testament, there were 12 apostles. 
heads of the people of God. I believe those 24 elders are a representation that God has a people that span time from the beginning of time clear into eternity. They are the people of God. Those 24 elders beyond them, there are others, beings. Can you imagine that? Four beings described in the Bible. Incredible descriptions about who they are. You know, heaven's not just going to have God and man in it. These living creatures are there. But beyond them, there is a greater assembly. Surrounding that throne, the Bible says there are myriads of angels and myriads upon myriads upon myriads. Do you know how much a myriad is? A myriad is 10,000. 10,000 times 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands of angelic beings surrounding their throne. I wonder what the four living creatures are saying. I wonder what the angels are saying. I wonder what those 24 elders are saying. But beyond that, there is a greater gathering. And the text says that it is a multitude that no one can number. A multitude of people from every tongue and tribe and language. And there are people that, listen, have washed their robes white. How have they washed their robes white? Have they taken that robe themselves and tried to clean up that robe themselves? No, they have washed their robes white in the blood of the Lamb. I have no robe that I can wear from this life. For if you look at my robe, it is tattered and worn and torn. It is covered in filth and grime. It has been stained by every evil thought and evil deed that I have done. It is not white. But thank God there is a way to be washed washed through the death of Christ who has satisfied the justice of God for my filthiness. That's the promise of God. This multitude that no one can number, I wonder what they are saying. Well, the text will tell me. There are songs and words in this new Jerusalem. What are those four living creatures saying? They're saying this, the book says, holy, Holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, the one who was, who is, who is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord, the Almighty, the one who was, who is, who is to come. Do you understand this afternoon that the God who made heaven and earth is holy? And we are the unholy. And those living creatures will remind all creation for all eternity that this Father in glory is holy. But what are those 24 elders proclaiming? What is coming from their lips even this hour, though we hear it not? What are they proclaiming? 
The book says they are proclaiming, worthy are you to take the scroll, and they are referencing Christ. Worthy are you, Christ, to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you've made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Oh, thank God for that. Thank God for the one that was slain. Thank God for the lamb who has redeemed by his blood a people from God, for God, from all of the nations of the world. And what has he made them? He's made them a kingdom. Do you know the teaching about the kingdom of God in the Bible? Have you ever done a study on the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God in the Bible? Listen. I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm thankful that I'm a citizen of the United States, but I've got a far greater citizenship. I am a citizen of the New Jerusalem. I am a citizen of heaven itself. I have entered the kingdom of God because many, many years ago, I heard the gospel cry, and the gospel cry was to repent and believe. You know what's going to save this country? Repentance and faith. Don't look to anything else or any other person. Look to the Lord. Would that God would do again in New York City what he did in 1857 when the Spirit of God swept through New York City and people began to cry out for God and his mercy and his grace and they began to repent of their sin and put their faith in Christ and a reviving spirit of life swept through New York City and then it began to travel all over this globe and it was called the Third Awakening. Done by the Spirit of God right here in our city. Two years after believers started the Manor Ministry in 1855. Oh, I'm confident that some of the believers that were at Manor, not in this building, this building wasn't here until 1907, but where they were meeting around the corner, I am confident that some of those believers shared in those prayer meetings that were used by God to bring in the powerful gospel spirit of God. Yes, there have been a host that have been redeemed. They've washed their robes white in the blood of the Lamb. They have repented. What does that mean? It means a change the way you think. Your problem, my friend, is you don't think like God thinks. Your mind is at rebellion against God. You have been given over to a reprobate way of thinking. And you will pursue a life because you have a thinking that allows you to pursue it. And that needs to change. Repentance is the way of thinking God's way. Believing him, believing that he is an authority to submit to. And it is a realization that the way that you have thought and the way that you have lived is in rebellion against the God who made you. And you feel the remorse of that and the sorrow of that and the fact that he is holy and you are sinful and you don't want to continue that way anymore. You want to change the way you think and the way you think you're going to put your faith and confidence in what he's told us to believe. And you are going to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the one he sent to save. And you will be able to join those hosts that will say, worthy is the Lamb. What are these myriads of angels saying? Heaven's choir. 
They're saying this, the book says, worthy is the lamb who was slain. You see, the elders will say that. The beast will cry out for the holiness of God. There must be something that will save a fallen, sinful, lying human race and bring them into the new Jerusalem. It's going to take the saving work. So worthy is the lamb that was slain. And these angels will cry, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. You see, it's all about Christ, the one who is standing next to the throne of the Father. But what are this great multitude made up of people from every tongue and tribe? What are they saying? They are saying this. Now listen. Salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. How do you think you're going to be saved? How do you think you're going to be rescued? How do you think, uh, as a sinful person, when we pass off of this globe and enter eternity, how do you think you're going to be saved? Will it be the work of your own hands? Will it be the washing of your own garment? Will it be your beneficial deeds? Will it be the fact that you were sprinkled at a baby and you joined a church? Will that be your salvation? Oh, no, my friends. The cry of the bride of the Lamb is worthy is God, for he is the one who saves, and the Lamb is the one that saves. Our God has made a way to save us. And if he made the way, then he's accepted the way. And you can trust the way. These words are trustworthy and true. It's all about the Lamb. The Lamb of God slain from the foundation. We're getting ready to celebrate that. This, 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 tomorrow is, is Palm Sunday. You know what Palm Sunday is all about? When 2,000 years ago the Lord Jesus entered the, the city of Jerusalem for the final week of his life, the very climax of, of his entire life, what his life was all about, the purpose for which he was sent. Matthew's going to give a fourth of his gospel to the final week in Christ's life. Christ had a public ministry for over three years. Matthew could have written a lot of things, but he gives 25% of his gospel to this final week that we're entering tomorrow. Mark, everything that he could have written, he's going to spend a third, a third of his gospel on the final week. Luke, 25%. You know how much of John's gospel is given to the final week of Jesus Christ's life? One half. I think this week is very important. I think this week is very important for you to understand the purpose for which Christ came. The Lamb, who's the light of the city. And we're going to have that study tomorrow, his triumphal entry to begin this final week of his life. We're going to have next Friday night a Good Friday service at 7 o'clock to look at the cross work of Christ, the final words that Jesus spoke on the cross of Calvary. But then a week from tomorrow, we're going to celebrate the most glorious event in all of human history, and that is when the Lord Jesus Christ reversed death. You show me a man who can conquer death, and I'll follow him. You see, salvation belongs to God.
and salvation belongs to the Lamb. He saves. And God's promise is that anyone and everyone who comes to him through Christ will be saved. That's not my promise. I could have never come up with this plan. It's the promise God made. Do you believe him? Have you become a part of the people of God by faith? Have you entered into this new covenant relationship where God forgives your sin and not remember them anymore? You keep remembering your sins. You imagine never remembering them again? To be absent from your body, to be present in this place, this new Jerusalem with angelic choirs and four living beasts and elders and a multitude that no one can number, the Spirit of God and the Lamb, Christ himself, and on the throne, the Father, with the promise that you'll see his face. I wonder what it's going to be like to embrace the Lord Jesus Christ for the first time, to embrace the Father, to hear the voice of the Father, to hear the voice of Christ, the voice of the Spirit of God. I wonder what it's going to be like to hear the voice of Moses and Abraham and all the saints. I wonder what it's going to be like to listen to the angelic choirs as they sing the worthiness of God saving sinful man. And then being able to look over at one of those living creatures and be reminded that this God of glory is holy, 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 the one who was, the one who is, the one who is to come, the one who is the very father of eternity is the Lord Jesus Christ. the eternal one, you and I are going to live somewhere forever. Where will it be for you? Will you change your thinking? Will you repent? And will you believe what God says? I can't do that for you. I wish I could. say, Bill, as you close, how do I get to heaven? How do I get there? How can I rest with assurance that should the Lord tarry and I pass away and I'm absent from my body, how can I have the assurance that I'm going to be present with the Lord? Believe what God says about how you can have that assurance. Believe his gospel. Believe his saving grace. Believe that he has guaranteed everyone and anyone who enters into a new covenant contract with him in Christ that he guarantees access. I don't get in because of who I am. I get in because of who Christ is. And all God told me is to repent and put my faith in him and embrace Christ as Lord and Savior. That if I believe that he's the Lord from heaven, and I confess that, and I do, I will tell you again this afternoon that I believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is the Lord from heaven. 
And I believe that he came down here, took upon himself my humanity. What it means to be a man he is, but he never ceased being the son of God. He's divine, he's deity, robed in humanity. One person with two natures. And what it means to be a man he will forever be into the eternal ages to come. He is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. He is the second man, the Lord from heaven. And he did something I couldn't do. He lived a life of obedience to God. He is the righteous one. He is the holy one of Israel. He's the righteous servant and the righteous branch of David. That's who he is. He has righteousness. And when he went to the cross of Calvary, he wasn't there to pay for his unrighteousness. He had none. He was there to pay for mine. And he was made to be a sin offering for me. And he died the death sentence of the Garden of Eden. And he satisfied God's justice against me. Isn't that grace? Isn't that kindness? Isn't that mercy? Isn't it far more? It truly is. But he was buried. He was buried. And then just like the book promised, he rose from the dead. And Romans chapter 1 says that that resurrection of Jesus Christ was God's stamp of approval. That the work that he had done was accepted by the Father for me. It can be yours too. If you'll repent, put your faith and trust in the Lord and call out to him, don't call out to me. There is no salvation in a church. Don't trust the fact that you were sprinkled as a baby. I was too. Your salvation is not found in your baptism. Your salvation is not found in the fact that you're identified with a church. Don't trust that. Don't trust any other human being for your salvation. Trust God and trust the Lamb. For he's worthy and salvation belongs to God. And salvation belongs to the Lamb. Rest in that. And enter into that covenant relationship to be the bride of Christ. And that is one of the reasons that when God instituted marriage in the very beginning of human time, when a man would marry a woman, there would be a bride and there would be a bridegroom. That picture for thousands of years is to illustrate the fact that there's a bridegroom of heaven who has a bride that is made up of believing people from the Old Testament dispensation, the 12 tribes of Israel, through the New Testament dispensation, the 12 apostles of Christ. There is a people of God, and they are the bride. Are you part of that great group? You can be. I can't force you to believe on the Lord, but you can believe him. You can trust God. And you can settle, you can settle your eternal destiny today if you cry out to Christ. Don't cry out to me. Cry out to Christ. And if you come to him, he will not reject you. He will not. That's his promise. So heaven awaits. 
or your part in the lake of fire. What do you want? Let's pray. Father, you have said that these words are faithful and true. And Father, I pray that you will help people in this chapel today to trust you and believe you and start a new life in Christ and follow him. Thank you for this week, Lord. Thank you for the reminder again in human history of how important that final week was in the life of your son, the one you sent to be the Savior. Grant these people, Lord. Grant them a gift of a repentant faith. Spirit of God, I ask. Father, I I just ask that you will draw men and women in this room to Christ, even this hour. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you're welcome. Well, you're also welcome. Tomorrow, 1 o'clock, we're going to have a uh, Palm Sunday celebration. Next Friday, remember a good Friday service at 7. And then a week from tomorrow, a Resurrection Sunday. And uh, we are planning on having a really nice meal on Easter Resurrection Sunday. Um, And you're invited. You're invited to help us celebrate that. But if you intend to come, would you let me know today uh, one way if, if you're intending to come? Because I want to make certain that we prepare enough for people. And um, I don't want folks to show up and we don't have enough to eat. So do let me know if you would like to come. Lord bless you. You're dismissed. No one wants to leave? Yes. Yeah, let me get my glasses on. How many of you would like for me to include you in a count? Two for two. Okay. Well, good. All right. If any of you walking out want to say something to me, you can as well. Thank you. Well, we, um, this will be, this is, it'll be a little late to let me know next Saturday. We are having a, a service next Saturday, by the way, with a food distribution. Okay. But um, if you think it, think it might be a possibility, then let me know. All right. Okay. All right. Good. Sunday at 1, 1 o'clock. Lord bless you all. You're so welcome.